All right, good day, Grace Orange. It's a privilege to get together today and gather to worship God, uh, sing praises to Him with all our hearts, now to open up the Word of God and hear from Him as He speaks through the Word. We're focused on the Christmas story, we're focused on the, the incarnation today and next week. And it's really obvious, but the Christmas story is, is overwhelming in its scope, it's overwhelming in its reach, and it, it does reach down to the depths of our souls and also to the ends of the earth. We're looking at the incarnation and it points us to God's salvation plan. This is the clear, clear message. And so as we, as we remember today and as we, as we focus on the incarnation, God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ to die for sinners, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 verses 10 through 14. And we're going to see... The Savior announced and salvation declared. The Savior announced and salvation declared. And really, two questions that come out of that. First of all, who is the incarnation for? And who gets its blessings? Who's the incarnation for and who gets its blessings? We need to know this. It's peace on earth and goodwill to whom? So if you're able, please stand with me to read God's word. I'm going to read Luke 2, 10 through 14. What a privilege to open up the inspired and errant infallible word of God, to read it, to hear it. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And Lord, we thank you that we can read your word today. Thank you for being, a, we get the chance to be alive to get together today and, and to, to sing your praises and to, to pray and then now to, to hear the word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful. We thank you, Lord, that, that you're going to do something in our hearts. We come to you expectantly, dependently, Lord, asking you to challenge us and comfort us and, and, and work in us whatever is your desire. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat there. So we're focused today on the incarnation, and I want you to see what this passage teaches us. What is the incarnation for, and, and who gets the blessings of it? And we're going to really crack open this passage and see what's inside. And what you see is, in verses 10 to 12, a Savior from God. And verses 13 and 14, salvation from God. So, a Savior announced, salvation declared. In verses 10 through 12, we see the Savior announced. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, who is them? The them is the shepherds. Now, I could have read, you know, Luke 2, 1 through 21, and get the whole scope. You're probably familiar with this passage. But the shepherds 
were out in the field and they were keeping watch over their flock by night. That's a normal thing for shepherds to do all year long. And the angels say to the shepherd a, a message, an announcement. Now this was the most significant announcement ever given to sinful man. It was given to lowly, unclean shepherds, though. Reminds us of Jesus' first beatitude, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It reminds us of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, saying, Consider your calling, brothers. There's, there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many mo- noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. That no one should boast before God. And I think it's significant, this is God's choice, but it's significant that the message first went to shepherds. That was the first profession mentioned in the Bible. In Genesis 4-2, Abel was a keeper of sheep. In those days, shepherds were under a ban. They, they were regarded as thieves. They were not looked highly upon. The only people lower at that time in the first century were lepers. And in Genesis 46, 34, we read that every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians. You go back and and look at the biblical account, and Genesis Joseph wouldn't even eat with his brothers. Shepherds, as one person said, were distrusted in Jesus' day, and they were a wild bunch. So they were the wild bunch of their day. James Boyce said this rural nomadic folk were a despised class in the first century, considered unreliable and not even allowed to give testimony in the law courts. So you know you're low if they won't even bring you in to give testimony in in a court. James 2.5 said, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom with which he promised to those who love him? And also the, the message to the shepherds was especially fitting Because Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd. Peter speaks of him as the chief shepherd. The writer of Hebrews speaks of him as the great shepherd of the sheep. And of course, John speaks of him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lamb of God. Now, The first people to hear and to believe and to share the Christmas gospel were shepherds. And what would they do next? They would soon leave their sheep to see the Lamb of God. The angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Don't be afraid. Why were they afraid? Well, just look in verse 9. We know why they were afraid. They had suddenly seen the glory of God. Fear is the normal, the appropriate response when confronted with the presence of God. They have God's messenger right in front of them. The glory of God shining around them. The Shekinah glory of God. The fear-inspiring and fear-inducing presence of God. It's just like Zechariah and Mary getting uh, the angel Gabriel coming to them. It was fear-inspiring. They were overtaken by the powerful and brilliantly visible glory of God. The glory. This is the Isaiah 6 glory of God. This is the glory of God that departed the temple. This is the glory of God that dwells with, his pe- with God's people. What is the glory of God? 
glory of God is who God is in all his power, all his character, all his acts. He is glorified when, when he is seen as he really is. So if you see God as he really is, as the Bible presents him, God is glorified by, by you seeing God as he really is in Scripture. If you have a, an accurate biblical view of God and of his character and of his acts and who he is, that glorifies God. Glory is the majesty and the splendor that accompanies God's presence. Revelation 21 tells us that one day all believers will be privileged to see the city, get this, that has no need of the sun or the moon. The reason why is because the glory of God illumines it and the lamp is the lamb. Jesus himself lights up the city of God. The glory of God is the glorious personal presence of Yahweh. God's glorious presence. This is what is introducing the glorious gospel. The glorious presence of God. So the angel, surrounded by the visible manifestation of God, says, I bring you good news. The gospel surround, introduces the, the glory of God in Christ. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Who are all the people? Not just the Jews. The gospel is given to all people. It is supposed to be given to all people. You're supposed to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Everyone everywhere is to hear the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. But the angel says this is the gospel of, of a great joy. The gospel is always accompanied by joy. Great joy here, mega joy, overriding joy, overcoming joy, abiding joy, joy that carries you through every circumstance, good news for all people. It's true joy that goes beyond feelings of elation that you get when you get your way. Do not be afraid. I have the gospel for you. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now, it's specific. It's happening right now. It happened today in a place that you're going to be going. And so the angel is talking to the shepherds and saying, in a place, in a geographic location, at a certain time, a Savior has been born. And it happened in the city of David. The saying city of David hit the shepherds more than in Bethlehem would have. The king's name and ancient home recall all the messianic promises made to David. Born is the Savior, Christ, Lord, in David's city. Not capital C city, Jerusalem, but Bethlehem where he was born. The city of David, Bethlehem, town where David was born. And it indicates the, the Davidic nature of this Messiah by explicit reference to the city of David. This was the long-awaited Davidic Messiah. First century messianic title, son of David. The demons cried out, Jesus, son of David. Son of David who would rescue God's people and rule over them. Why were Mary and Joseph in the city of David? Why were they in Bethlehem? It was because of the Roman census that had been imposed 
They were under Roman rule, and Mary and Joseph took a 70-mile torturous journey over mountainous terrain to Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. They had to go to Bethlehem. And the angel is saying, to you, in that place, in this time, has been born a Savior. Now, there's only two places in the Gospels where Christ is referred to as Savior. Here, in John 4.42, the men of Sychar call him the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Jesus' name is a synonym for Savior. Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. Savior, referring to the mighty acts of God in rescuing lost sinners and, and their resulting safety. We've been looking at Romans 8 over and over again and the absolute security of believers in Christ that, that you are loved forever and that you are kept in Christ because of God's gracious choice. Savior on the angel's lips would have recalled all that was said in the Old Testament about salvation being provided by God. Now the pagans used the term savior as well. They used it for their emperor. This is nothing like the pagan use of savior for the emperor in Rome. God used it of Christ. Jesus is the only savior. He's the savior that Isaiah spoke of. The Savior who would be the suffering servant. Isaiah 52, 15 has a phrase that's very crucial when, it, when, it's, when it's talking about Savior. Because the suffering servant in Isaiah 52, 15 will sprinkle many nations. Sprinkle many nations. What's significant about that is that sprinkle is the same word in Leviticus 16, 14 that is referring to the sacrificial blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. That the coming Messiah would be for his people both priest and victim. His blood would sprinkle many nations. By, by his wounds we are healed. By his blood we are cleansed. Mary had declared in Luke 147 that my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary, in chapter 1, is referring to God as, his, as her Savior. And the reason why is she understood she was a sinner in need of a Savior. That she was a sinner like all people in Adam, Romans 5.12. And she was in great need of so great a salvation, Hebrews 2.3, from so great a Savior. I think back in my life when I, I was not aware I needed a Savior, I tried to be my own. When you're aware that you need a Savior, and you hear the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, and you hear that Jesus died for your sins in your place at the cross, and was buried, and rose on the third day, and ascended to the Father, and is coming back, you hear that when you know you need a Savior, you run to Christ. You run to Christ. The best gospel thought you can have is that you need a Savior. Admitting you need a Savior is a God-given grace. So today, the angel says, in the city of David, at a time, in a place, a Savior has been born who is Christ, the Messiah. But he says, Christ the Lord. This is the only time in the New Testament you see this phrase, Christ the Lord. These Jewish shepherds, like all Jews in Israel, were looking for the Messiah. The Messiah to come and be their deliverer 
from Roman oppression. The angel saying Christ, Messiah, would have been very significant, but even more significant to say Christ the Lord, Messiah, God. Now in those days, messianic expectation was running hot and high. There were uprisings and revolts. And the angel tells them, the Messiah has just been born. Now they should have known this. The Jews would have known this. They would have been able to to do the math. I mean, believers now, we don't know the day nor the hour that Jesus is coming back. Only the Father knows. But in those days, you could trace when the Messiah would be born. And so the anticipation was running hot and high. It was the expectation was running deep. If you go over to Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, you'll notice what they should have known. And many of them did know. It says in Daniel 9, 25 and 26 that you are to know and discern. Two verbs about knowing something. Two verbs about figuring something out and grasping it. So the Jews would have known, should have known, the time when Messiah was to come. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 483 years. And it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. That's the crucifixion. He will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, so the Romans of the Antichrist, will destroy the city and sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. When the shepherds heard, the angel announced that unto you, born today, in a place, specific time, a Savior, Christ the Lord, they would have known. This is he of whom Isaiah spoke. You can't celebrate Christmas without going to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, the glory of God filling the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This was announcing that the Messiah was going to be born and that the glory of God would fill the earth. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born. So when the angel says, For to you, This day is born, for to you is born. They'd be thinking, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name, identity, character, totality of his being, being announced beforehand, and the angel is telling them, this has happened happened it would take you to the psalms you can't celebrate christmas without the psalms look at psalm 2 psalm 2 
Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Psalm 45, 6 and 7, mirrored in Hebrews 1, 8, your throne, O God, is forever. Speaking of the Messiah. Go all the way back to Genesis 3, 15. Speaking of the Messiah, actually promised in the Garden of Eden, looking forward to the future Garden of Paradise. Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Christ the Lord. The Lord, that translates the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Peter does the same thing on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He's proclaiming to a similar group, a bunch of Jews, the audience is standing, he's standing before the audience and he's declaring this, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, pinpointing, it happened, he, he was born in Bethlehem on that day in that town, he grew up and then he was crucified. In fact, the, the impact of that proclamation of Jesus as Lord and Christ. In Acts 2, 37, you see the impact. It hit them hard. Their hearts were pierced. They were convicted of their sin. They were convicted of their need of a Savior, the Savior that was promised, the Savior that appeared in Bethlehem on a certain day. Savior, Christ, and Lord. You put those together Every Jew would know, wow, it's happened. It's happened. Savior, Christ, and Lord are together in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven from, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The title Luke uses the most for Jesus, Lord, kurios. He uses it 16 times in chapter 1 to refer to God, to refer to Yahweh. So now he's being referred to as the Lord. It's God. This is the holy, unspeakable, personal name of God himself, the Lord, Yahweh. The angel gives the same title to the baby born in Bethlehem. Almighty God, Yahweh. Not just any baby. God clothed in flesh and blood. In the incarnation, we're remembering the incarnation. The infinite God becomes finite man and remains infinite God. Savior, Christ, Lord. So it is appropriate, Paul in 1 Timothy 3.16 says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And he's going to just string it all together. The whole golden chain of gospel goodness running throughout the entire Bible. He who was revealed in the flesh, there's the incarnation, there's the birth in Bethlehem, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You've got the incarnation, the crucifixion, the, exalt, the resurrection, the exaltation, all right there. Mary, she had heard, prior to this, she had heard the baby called Lord. While, while he was still in her womb. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, asks in Luke 1.43, 
how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? The mother of my Lord, the Messiah, God himself. You think of all of God's covenants and you string them all together throughout the Bible. One promise of a deliverer, one salvation program plan, the golden thread of gospel truth. How all nations would be blessed in Abraham. How all nations would be blessed in David. And then, all nations blessed in Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew 1.1. You cannot miss the unilateral covenantal significance of the angel saying, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God said he would do this. Throughout the Bible, he said he would do it through Christ the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. He was born on a specific day in a specific place. He is God. He is Emmanuel. Verse 12, the angel says, this will be a sign for you. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You will see a sign, an outward compelling proof of divine authority to prove the claims of the one performing the miracle to be true. A sign for you. You'll find a baby. You will find. You're going to be searching. You're going to be looking. You're going to be going to Bethlehem, and you're going to see. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. He won't be in a palace. He won't be sitting on a throne. There won't be a halo over his head. He's born as a baby through a birth canal in Bethlehem on a certain day. Spurgeon said this, Not in marble halls, wrapped in purple and fine linen, and welcomed by the great and mighty of the earth, a manger receives the people's king. This baby in the manger, God himself, with all the power and authority under heaven inside that body. Wow. A baby wrapped in cloth. Now that would not be odd. A baby's wrapped in cloth. That's what everyone did in those days. Swaddling cloths. They would take strips of cloth and, and bind the baby tightly so the baby would not scratch its face and eyes. And it was thought to strengthen the, the limbs. The angel is saying, well, all the babies are in cloth, but a baby in a Feed trough? This will be easy to find. Can you look? Only, only a baby lying in a, in a feed trough where, where animals eat, that's, that's what's going to make it obvious. You will know when you see it that God has done what he said he would do. God keeps his promise. So a strange sign, baby in a feed trough, would help the shepherds search and confirm the angel's message. This is how you'll know that you are in the spot that you are supposed to be. You're in the location. You're at the address. You see this sign. The cross-seeking Savior will be in a feed trough. Scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer once said this, the best way to send an idea is to wrap it up in a person. You apply that to the gospel and it's spot on. The gospel wrapped up in the person of this little baby. You find a baby in a feed trough, you'll know. So the search was on. They're going to go right away and look. What's the incarnation for? The incarnation, the gospel, what, what is it for? It's for the glory of God 
and all the people. Notice, good news of great joy for all the people. Everyone needs to hear this message. What did the shepherds do after they saw Jesus? They glorified and praised God and told everyone about it. They told everyone about it. A savior from God to be announced to all. Preach the gospel to all. Move on with me into verses 13 and 14. Because this savior from God to be announced to all, now what's going to happen is the, the outflow of why he came is going to be declared. We will see salvation declared here. Verse 13, suddenly, just like the angel appears suddenly, now there is with the angel the multitude of the heavenly host. Host describes an army encampment. Christ used military imagery with about angels in Matthew 26. Revelation 5 tells us the number of the angelic host is too large for the human mind to fathom. Numberless. But you need to key into this. The heavenly army brought a message of peace. Multitude of angels praising God, making a statement, and saying in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. There's your gloria in excelsis deo. And what this means is glory to God in the highest degree, the highest degree of glory to God. By the appearing of his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, God gets the highest degree of glory. By his life, by his death on the cross, it will glorify God as never before. Job 38 tells us that the angels praise God at creation. Now they're praising God at the beginning of the new creation. The whole purpose of God's salvation plan, glory to God in the highest, the most glory to God. This child, born in a place on a certain day, will be the greatest revelation of the glory of God to the heights of heaven. God will be glorified in the highest because of him. So the breaking in into the world of the Son of God to die on a cross was the greatest manifestation of the glory of God ever. You fast forward to the week before the cross, same thing is getting proclaimed. Don't be guilty of saying, well, Christmas is over here, and it's sort of related to Easter, and I don't know, Romans 8 is somewhere in the fuzzy, murky middle. It is all strung together. It is all a part of the salvation plan of God. Matthew 21, 9. The multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna in the son, to the son of David. So praise God. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. May God get the greatest glory from this. Luke 19, 38. They said, blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. May God get the most glory from this. And then you know what else they said. The angels, the host, the, the army of heaven announcing this peace. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. ESV gets it really well here. Some, some say goodwill towards men. Now realize on a lot of Christmas cards you got goodwill toward man. It's like, well, this is not us high-fiving each other and hugging and all getting along. Those are good things to do. But what does this really mean? I think this might be the most misunderstood line in the Christmas story. 
When people say, well, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Jesus came so we'd all get along. Again, we should get along. Peace on earth and goodwill to whom? That's the question. The Greek literally is people of his good pleasure. People of God's good pleasure. Who's being referred to here is all those he saves. The few he chooses. As Jesus said, many are called and few are chosen. The elect. So you got many are called with the universal gospel call that should go out to all people. But the peace is the salvation peace. The peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ that Romans 5.1 speaks of. Those with whom he is pleased. It means God's good pleasure. It means God's favor. It means God's purpose. It means God's choice. It's God's grace on those he has chosen. It's God's goodwill towards them. You know it's true from the gospel. The only way an unholy sinner can be pleasing to a holy God is to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. God is not going to give you peace with him because of your good behavior or because of your goodwill towards other people. Ephesians 2.9 says, what does it say? Someone tell me. Not by works that anyone should boast. You shouldn't boast in any of your good works because you're not getting saved by that. Christ touching down on earth on a day in a place meant peace to God's chosen. Isaiah 9-7, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Anyone who hates Jesus doesn't get peace. All who yield to him get the peace. Later on in Luke, Jesus says the same thing as he's praying to the Father. Peace among men with whom he is pleased, echoing the same thought. Luke 10, 21, in that same hour, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian passage here. Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit and says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Same word, for people with whom he is pleased. Eudokia, it's the same Greek word, gracious will, those with whom he is pleased. The angels announce peace upon those with whom God is pleased, and Jesus thanks the Father that it was his good pleasure to hide truth from the wise and reveal it to those who come to him humbly. And this revealed truth consisted of knowledge of Jesus Christ. Luke 10, here's what Jesus says. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That is key. God's pleasure and peace rest on those to whom the truth of Jesus' identity is both revealed and believed. You believe that he is Savior Christ and Lord and you stake your entire life upon that. God's peace rests on those whom he has chosen in accordance with his good pleasure. The peace is only for those whom God is pleased with. Again, he's not giving you salvation because of your good works. Salvation is not a a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus said in John 14, my peace I give to you. He said it to his his disciples. Colossians 1.20 says that he made peace through the blood of his cross. Come to Christ, 
believing in his finished work at the cross, you get the peace. Salvation peace belongs to those whom God is pleased to give it. It is not a reward for your goodwill. It is not a reward for your good behavior. It is a gracious gift that God gives to the object of his goodwill. Peace with God, as we see in Romans, is the result of justification. Romans 5.1. Peace with God is seen as the result of God calling and justifying and sanctifying and glorifying the elect. God is glorified because Jesus was born on a certain day in a certain place. And the peace spreads everywhere Jesus is received. This is why Christ came. Glory to God from man, peace to man from God. Glory to God from man, peace to man from God. God will fill the earth with his glory through Christ. This is what John testified in John chapter 1. We have seen his glory, that of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son whom we worship and adore. The Son who is gathering the nations. Don't separate Christmas and Easter. And don't think it's muddy in the middle. It's all one story. In Romans 8 it tells us. We were deserving of God's wrath. Vessels of wrath turned uh, turn to vessels of mercy. Romans 9. Prepared beforehand for glory. Are now uncondemned. Unseparated. Foreknown. Predestined. Called. Glorified. Justified. Glorified. It is God's good pleasure saving by grace all who will believe. This is the truth that the angels knew. This is the truth that the angels declared. They knew the worth and the weight of God's presence. They knew his gospel glory. God in heaven gets the glory. His chosen people get the peace. What is the incarnation for? The incarnation, the gospel, is for the glory of God and for all people to hear. Who gets the blessings? Who gets the blessings? This is the crucial question. All those whom God has taken a firm grasp of. All those who believe. All those who enter by the narrow gate. If you're in that number and you say, you know what, I'm a believer. It might be that you know it as fact, but do you live it as reality? With a lot of people who have salvation in Christ, they live lives of misery and it looks like they're happy to be miserable. Here in this passage, the applications and implications are so clear to us. What does the passage say? How did the people respond? First, you see fear. You see reverence for God. You know what that tells us? That tells us that your thoughts need to be held captive to obedience with Christ. You need to watch your thoughts and your words. Be careful to let what your heart meditates on and what you let pass by your lips. There's a response of praise. A burst of praise, spontaneous praise, and even planned out praise. Like we planned out today to come here together and praise the glories of God's grace. To, to pour our hearts out to God in praise. We're planning to do that tonight as well. Some people want to know if the angels sang or spoke. It doesn't matter. They praise God. The words of the angels in Revelation 5, a new song they're singing. Luke 2, their words of praise. It doesn't matter if they sang or spoke. They expressed in poetic form praise to God. Whether they were singing or speaking, they were worshiping and praising God. That's what we need to do. If you're the object of God's good pleasure, sing the glory of Christ in your heart, in your home, 
Tell the good news. Let, let the overflow of the life of Christ in you be praising the glories of God's grace in Christ. Do you notice that they were obedient as well? They went right away. They went right away immediately. But we take, talk ourselves out of obedience all the time. Don't talk yourself out of obedience. Because Lord is not just a title. Lord is a call to action so that every believer would willingly and reverently bow before Jesus Christ as Lord and live under him and continually submit their wills to him as loyal bondservants. Seeking first his kingdom. Seeking first his righteousness. Do you get up in the morning and say, wow God, you gave me another day. I submit my will to you, whatever you want today. And by the way, we don't make Jesus Lord of our lives. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. We acknowledge his lordship. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, the Holy Spirit inspires the confession. Jesus is Lord. If you're indwelt by the Spirit of God because you're a believer, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're going to profess, you're going to say, you're going to live the fact that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there's peace. There's peace as a result. The heavenly army brought peace, but we are still in a war. All, many of us, we're choosing the wrong battles. We're at war with the wrong things. You are not fighting your spouse or your kids or your boss or your coworkers, or a fellow Christian. You're not fighting the government. You're not fighting the political party you don't like. Your great battle, if you're a believer, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. What battle are you fighting? You notice that they also shared what they heard. They, they couldn't help themselves. They made known, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. That on a certain day, in a certain time, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, was born. You shouldn't be able to help yourself. You should be so in love with Jesus that you want to tell everyone about him. It's just the way it is when God gets a hold of your soul. And yes, we go through seasons of self-centered craziness. And sometimes those seasons last for a long time. But I hope by the grace of God that he will shake us out of complacency, that we would tell our testimony, that we would tell our testimony to, our, to ourselves in our hearts and tell your household and tell the people that you work with and that you hang out with, tell people everywhere of the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. And then there's joy, just sheer unadulterated joy. See, what happens is a lot of times what we call joy is, is just a, a mirage, we experience instant, fleeting, short-lived happiness because things worked out for us, because we won the game, because we got the deal, because they said yes, because we got what we wanted, I got my way. That's not the joy that Jesus gives. The joy that Christ gives is overcoming joy, it's overwhelming joy, it's overriding joy. It's when you lose when you get fired it's when you fail it's when you're told no it's when you didn't get what you wanted it's when you didn't get your way and you're able to say god is good and jesus is lord 
and he is with me. Therefore, I have everything I need. Those who hate Christ get no joy. Those who yield get joy forevermore. If you have the joy of Christ, it is going to affect your life. Our hearts are idol factories. 1 John 5, 21 tells us, little children, keep yourself from idols. Idolatry was the problem throughout all of history and is up to this minute. God calls people back to himself via his word, by his spirit. He promised to send the Messiah, born of a virgin, a child, a son, a counselor, the king. And the joy we get is a gift from God. We, we have no claim on joy and peace where we say, I'm taking that. Life is a gift from God, granted by God. Joy is a gift from God, granted by God. Psalm 1611 tells us, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forever. I just want to say as I close, please don't, please, with me, make this your resolve. Please don't settle for a weak, middle-of-the-road American version of Christianity that sells the biblical pattern short. You want to really aim for the godliness that rubs the world the wrong way. The power of the incarnation is the power of the resurrection, is the power that God uses to transform hearts and lives and leaves us uncondemned, loved forever, never separated from the love of God in Christ. In Jesus Christ our Lord, we have joy, we have freedom, we have happiness. True happiness, granted by God in Christ. Peace on earth, goodwill towards whom? What's the incarnation for? Who gets the blessings? I hope you've grasped with me today what this passage tells us. That the glory of God and all the people, that's what the incarnation is for. Everyone needs to hear of Jesus Christ. But the blessing is for all those God has taken a firm grasp of, all who believe. The incarnation is good news. The universal call of the gospel brings glory to God when you share the gospel, it brings glory to God, but the incarnation's blessings are for those God chose, all who enter by the narrow gate. I hope that's you today. If you're a believer today, keep trusting this awesome Savior. If you're not a believer today, surrender to him now. The Savior who was announced, the salvation that was declared, because the inevitable response is this. Glory to God in the highest. That's it. Praise God. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the Savior announced for all, for a salvation pronounced on some. Thank you that this is the way you worked it, Lord. Thank you that the gospel is strong. Thank you, Lord, that it's the power that you use to save people. And Lord, you know, we don't know. We can't see people's hearts. We pray, Lord, that you, who have taken a firm grasp of us, would give us grace to live it, to speak it, to enjoy you forever. We pray all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. amen.